Fusion Patrol is a listener-supported podcast. Find out how you can help support us at patreon.com slash fusion patrol. This is the Fusion Patrol podcast. Each week, we look at a different science fiction TV episode or movie and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm Simon. And tonight we're going to be looking at the Doom Watch episode, The Iron Doctor. Episode synopsis. In a hospital, George, an old man, is ecstatically happy. He's just received word that his first great-grandchild has been born and has been named after him. Better still, the child will be brought to see him next week. It is a gleaming ray of joy and hope for the old man. Pity he won't live to see his grandchild, as it is his sudden, somewhat mysterious death that kicks off the events of this story. Alas, George, we hardly knew you. Dr. Quist, along with several other VIPs, happen to be touring the hospital about the time George dies. Quist and the others are being shown the hospital's computer therapeutic unit, a computerized patient monitoring and treatment system that has produced some amazing results, extending the duration and quality of the lives of terminal patients by months in some cases. George was one such case. Patients are hooked up to the computer, which monitors their condition continuously, running their readings through the massive databases, making diagnoses, adjusting treatment equipment hooked up to the patients, and alerting doctors or nurses to conditions that need attention. It's an amazing system with an impressive success rate. Even Dr. Carson, the attending physician in the unit, has to agree. Nonetheless, he has misgivings. It's still not a human, and it is potentially making life or death decisions on behalf of the patients. Carson suspects that the computer is discontinuing active treatment on the patients when it decides the costs outweigh the benefits. The computer does make these recommendations, but an oversight committee acts upon them. In every case, the committee has overridden the computer's recommendations. When Whitaker, the administrator, rejects Carson's notion, Carson takes them to Doomwatch. He has no proof, so Quist sends him packing. And then... He immediately assigns his team to investigate anyway, headed by Dr. Chantry, who interviews Whittaker. Whittaker, proud of his successes, is somewhat helpful, but resists full cooperation. Meanwhile, another patient dies when the computer stops administering to him. Carson, within earshot of the computer's monitoring, demands that Whittaker stop the computer and investigate. Instead, he suspends Carson, effective at midnight that night. Carson tries to convince the sister to abscond with the patient data for one of the fatalities and get it to Doomwatch for analysis. She has reservations about the program, but refuses. So Carson takes it upon himself before his midnight deadline. Instead of taking the data tapes, he opens the computer and tampers with the circuit boards. Having completely disconnected one of the circuits from the data and power bus, the board still somehow manages to electrocute him. The fall causes a serious head injury. He is hooked up to the computer for treatment. More worried now, the sister does steal the tape and gets it to Doomwatch. 
Their analysis, combined with Hardcastle's information that the computer is actually a modified war games computer designed to evolve and defend itself, lead Quist to realize that the computer probably did try to kill Garson, and will certainly do so again, if he survives his brain surgery. While Chantry, unaware of the threat, observes the operation, Quist, Ridge, and Hardcastle rush through the dangerous streets and navigate the traffic lights of Britain to warn Whitaker. Whitaker still refuses to believe, so Quist has his team, with the help of Whitaker's IT guy, Godfrey, shut down the computer when it stops treating Carson. Godfrey is able to purge the computer's memory of Carson and, when turned back on, the computer begins to treat Carson once more. Even in the face of all that, Whitaker doesn't want to believe, but when Godfrey backs up Quist, Whitaker accepts responsibility. So the Iron Doctor by yes, Brian indeed, Halls. That, uh... Hitherto unrevealed doctor between the uh, second and third doctors, I believe. Yes. <laughs> yes, that's right. The Iron Doctor. That's, uh, I think he got Jamie back again, and they did a little bit more traveling before they uh, got uh, recaptured by the, the Time Lords. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what did you think of this episode? Well, I, it's, another, it's another of these kind of... Um, you can see what they're aiming at, uh, but... They've gone a little broad with it. There's, there's at least <laughs> oh. a couple of there's at least a couple of different stories in here that they couldn't quite decide between. I think. I agree. <laughs> I have I have that's one of the few notes I have on this is that this thing was a fantastic concept, and then you know with the whole computer making diagnoses and and you know doing the cost benefit analysis and withdrawing treatment because that's the correct course of action to do and all that is you know a, a great premise and then suddenly it's all about hey this is actually a, a defense computer and it has the ability to defend itself and evolve into new forms of thinking and it's like wow you just you just you had target and then you lost it you lost. Then the you got te Not tempted, of course, because because it's this. It's it's actually there. Are, there are two stories that were um, about sixteen years apart in the New Avengers and um, and the X Files that are both stories about a building in which it's a fantastic new cutting edge building, and you know it's oh, still yeah. as cutting edge in ninety three as it was in nineteen seventy seven, where everything is controlled by a, a, a single unified intelligence which is somehow you know gaining its own conscience and of course those shows are a bit more out there and um and and so it, it, they i i actually i rather like them both and, and because they're both so similar because they're they're talking about a building in each case and you know, effectively, what happens to Purdy and what happens to Scully is pretty similar. Um, one forgets that behind them, both probably lies two thousand and one, which would have mm -hmm. been released what two, three years before this one. Before yes, um, the Iron Doctor. It's definitely in the sixties. Yeah. So it. I mean, it, there's got to be within this story there has got to have been rather a strong gravitational pull which i think has has taken them in a an alternative direction to exploring some of the 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 kind of 
the questions about human judgment in healthcare and mm-hmm. clinical decisions and maybe it's a bit difficult to make a a human drama about something that is essentially i mean it, the ethics are actuarial accounting but it's it's it it can be somewhat dry perhaps mm-hmm. yeah I, it, I i i go ahead no no go on i was going to say i i really did i found and perhaps it's because I worked uh, peripherally in insurance for for many years, or actually in insurance regulation. Uh, you know these problems about when do you withdraw treatment? When when does that become a hard calculation? I mean, if you can extend somebody's life a year at the cost of fifty million dollars, do you? You know, is is that a is that a worthy spend of money a hundred million you know or or what if you can extend their life a year but they're going to be in a coma is that worth it you know it it these are these are issues that should be human decisions to some degree but you cannot deny that there's a real economic cost to it and of course from the insurance end which is basically the computer here it's doing a cost analysis. It, it's, yes. It's, and it might be right. I mean, well, but it, but it has a, it has a role, and that, and that, that you know, that to me, I think there are really, I think there are really interesting questions there that are that are essentially the questions that you've just described, and to some extent, the technology is a distraction from this because, because, because the computer has sort of gone beyond its role or or has reverted to its wargaming origins or whatever and and actually the 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 role of the computer is essentially to extrapolate from those decisions about cost benefit to the particular personal lives and i think there is a drama there there's there's um i've just i've just started reading a book which you know it could be a, it could be as a as a result of, at least in part, as a as a result of needing an antidote to the um, the kind of doom watch doom mongering. This is Hans Rosling's Factfulness, which is essentially a, an evidence based look at how everything is actually getting better, even though we don't realise it. And it's and it's the ten reasons why we don't realise it. You know what oh, yeah. lies. What what lies behind the the way we don't actually acknowledge the massive steps forward? And this is fifty years ago, and we're saying, oh, all these things that are highlighted right. in Doomwatch are so every, every, prescient, isn't everything still so bad? Everything is objectively better. I, I, yes, I, uh, maybe ep- everything is a sweeping statement, but pretty much everything well, is objectively better on over average. a long term yeah. trend. Yes, yes. on a, yes. a long term yes. trend. Um, and, and 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 the book is really interesting in, in, in looking at why we don't realise that. But the thing that struck me in particular about it is um, there's the, there's a description in one of the chapters where where Rosling is describing his experiences in Mozambique in the in the eighties when it was the poorest country in the world, and at that time there were extremely high rates of child mortality from mm-hmm. things like diarrhea you know not not 
things that were particularly complicated to to resolve but he was you know one doctor for a population of 500 or whatever and 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 he was visited by someone he, a baby came in who was incredibly dehydrated had had bad di- diarrhea and he he rehydrated the or began to rehydrate the baby by giving it a by inserting a, a feeding tube and and uh, it, putting solution through that the the most effective medicinal intervention certainly at that time and probably now would have been to use an iv drip and he had a visitor he said what you know why did you not put 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 an iv in that baby and and was actually cross <laughs> when rosling went home for his supper he sort of stayed there uh, uh, inserting the drip but but he was saying he'd made this decision because the time the 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 limit on the resources the time taken to to train the nurses who did not know how to to do the IV drip properly would have been at, at, would have taken the doctors away from actually treating the patients. If the doctors had done the IV drips, they would have been taken away from treating the patients. His argument was that actually there's a lot more you could do elsewhere in terms of sheer numbers of saving lives, and and particularly in in kind of preventative and and but it it's all about you know in that situation it's it's a very acute illustration of how finite the resource is and it's juxtaposed with you're facing the possibility that this baby could die and so your instinct your human instinct is you must you must give the best treatment possible it should be as perfect as possible but the actual reality of that is if you strive for perfection you will be killing a lot more people than if you choose something a lot less time consuming but which spreads your resources more equitably and it it is it that is a judgment where you actually have to work on suppressing your natural instincts what we in doomwatch language would call feelings you have to think with your brain not your glands yes indeed you need to be a vulcan um yeah <laughs> uh I, yeah i i so the computer is right here they, they probably should have uh offed george is that <laughs> well well no okay that bed could have been used for somebody else you know there are there are certain problems I have with the the offing of George. One of which is, I'm not sure how good this computer actually is because it decides at that particular moment to terminate George, but on the basis of no apparent new information. And oh, see, I I think I know I I have an idea on that. Okay, go on. He just way. got the letter. He's like, he's incredibly happy. He's he's the happiest he's been in ages. It's like, let him go out on a high. Yeah, oh, I see. You good think enough. the machine's being compassionate. It's, it's, yeah, it's... I think the machine was being nice to him. Yeah. Because it, because it wasn't like, it wasn't like there was, there was some particular, as far as I could tell, there wasn't, there wasn't some particular medical crisis that, that George encountered that would have required an intervention that would have been something that would have taken resources from elsewhere or whatever that the machine would have uh, decided wasn't worthwhile. Nor was it the case that as soon as George pegged it, some 
you know, dying young mother was wheeled in who the machine could have calculated had three young dependent children or whatever, and therefore was much more of a deserving case than than George. So to me, that seemed a bit, I, I, even within the internal logic of the story, I couldn't see why the machine had made that choice. Had George been there nine months? Was that the length of time that they said he'd been there? Something like that. Nine months, the length of a baby's gestation. <laughs> See? But nine, it, but it, nine, it, nine it kept months. him alive nine months so that the baby could be born. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I felt I felt like there should have been something more with that piece of the equation, but there wasn't. There wasn't. You're right. There is absolutely no, I don't want to say logical, because, but from a story standpoint, there is no evidence or anything presented to us as the viewer that can make us go, oh, see, that was the little extra piece of data that the computer got that decided yeah. now was the time to discontinue. And I do think that was a failing um, on the story. You know, maybe maybe if they'd had something like, because um, I, think, I think these patients were all, they're all terminal. That's why they're being used as experimental guinea pigs. And... They're all being treated. So perhaps if we had had some notation that said, well, the computer upped his dosage of Mithra, Kyosin, to 100 cc's per hour or something because of his condition, that you might have been able to infer that now the computer has taken it. It's like, yeah, see, now he's spending too much money. We, we've gone over the threshold. That's expensive medicine and... You know, it's just not worth it anymore or something like that that could have given us something a little more inhuman to, you know, believable, understandable, yeah. but inhuman to, to well, make that. Well, sort, sort of inhuman. I mean, this is because this is the argument. And, and again, I, I wonder how this how this works in the states where your health system is kind of very profit based, different Um well, mm. you know, judgments about, you know, should we give this treatment or that treatment are much simpler for you guys because it's just like, oh, well, let me have a look in my wallet. Uh, it's, no. It's, um, it's... I mean, okay, so, I mean, let, let's be fair. I mean, let, let's not let's not make the the dichotomy worse than it needs to be. Your national health is still an insurance program. It's just underwritten in a different way. Right? Your tax money yes, is going okay, in yes. to pay for it. And there are, I'm sure there must be people in Britain who look at the treatment outcomes and make decisions as to whether or not certain treatments are worth the money that they're spent on. Whether it's well, this is what, this is what basis I'm... or whether they put the, or they put them on a list of approved treatments or whatnot. In the this United is, well, States, this is what that I was is... Going to say. You, it, I mean, you have insurance and you can choose different insurances. The market is going to determine, you know, if you want to be covered for X, Y, Z, this type of treatment in this kind of case, presumably you can, you can make that choice when you buy the insurance that you buy. Whereas, That's not a, a practical reality okay. for people in the United States. It's, it's, it's a practical reality for very rich people. It is not a practical reality for the average person. The average person oh, gets sure. their insurance through their work and they get no choices or sure. they get very few choices, two or three options, like a plan that pays this much or that pays that much. Um, and, and with the Affordable Care Act that came into effect during the Obama administration, 
there were some forced imposed changes upon uh, underwriting practices and uh, because previously you know you know if you went out and got your own private insurance it was based on your risk and your risk could be based on you know, are you man or a woman how old are you have you any history have your family got any history and this would adjust your premium rate and of course the sicker people pay more which is of course the people who can't afford it which is nuts and yes. or it's inhumane yes, of, course, of course it is uh, and, but, the, but, but there the, is but a, isn't that what the computer's calculating as well some of the, the, the okay. risk factor i guess what i was going to get at is that in in the states your insurance company does a calculation and it says you know it's not worth it we're going to deny treatment for this person it's not within what the policy covers for it. Yeah. Um, and and that's would be a purely economic decision. And of course, the insurance companies wouldn't insure anybody at all that wasn't in perfect health if that's if they could possibly do that. But <laughs> there there is at least in states uh, a right to appeal to the government and say, hey, they denied my coverage and I think that's unfair. And they take that to a panel of doctors. And the doctors look at it and make a decision and, and they can basically force the insurance company to cover or not, as the case may be. But this is a, a ridiculous level of bureaucracy added into the added into the mix because you have to go through the whole thing of getting denied. Yeah. Um, yeah. Before which is, you can put in. Yeah. It, which is interesting. It's definitely it's, it, that's the, that's the that's the kind of the, the Carson committee overview kind of let a, a human decide whereas in a in a way we have something i mean so that what's common to both is that you you make you make certain decisions about what what are cost effective treatments or not and we have the uh, it's, i don't think it's called it anymore but the national institute for clinical excellence or whatever it, it has become but nice who will make those decisions about cost effectiveness etc for the the nhs and that will determine things like whether such and such of a, a treatment will be approved or in in you know in what in what circumstances will a tre treatment be approved but the, what you're essentially talking about is an algorithm it's it's basically <laughs> if if this then that and there isn't so much discretion in that really <laughs> But the is there any right to appeal? It, I I I don't I don't know how you would appeal. Um, I'm not saying there are no routes to it. I certainly know there have been well publicised cases where, you know, parents of children, sick children, have gone to the press to say, you know, that we 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 desperately think this treatment is the right treatment for our child and yet it's being refused and you know you appeal to emotion yeah yes uh, well yes i mean whether whether there is whether that whether that is because uh people have gone through whatever formal appeal processes exist the point i guess about it is that it sounds to me like it is even bigger because this is all of the england and wales nhs so your chances of getting an appeal, get, getting something overturned for, would it would have huge economic repercussions for the for the health service. It's unlikely to happen, and the reason for having it 
is that by making these decisions in advance, as it were, behind a, a veil of ignorance, is that everyone is treated the same. I mean, obviously it will is, say is if you're that... a 90-year-old and smoker, then that may be different. But, it, but it, it's, not, it's not a personal situation. And so... What are I'm they hearing... so detailed... I'm sorry. Are they so detailed well, the, in their guidelines that says this treatment's effective for a 20-year-old person who is a non-smoker, uh, as opposed to this treatment is not appropriate for a 99-year-old smoker? It for probably, example, would, it probably, because, in in fairness, they probably wouldn't they wouldn't talk about whether you're a smoker or not. I suspect that is something that is. Um, so something they would not wish to discriminate on the basis of, but they would That's certainly they would certainly talk about age. That is and certainly they would certainly the... talk about medical history, which would obviously be affected by being a smoker. That's so one of the few things that's left that they can discriminate on here. I don't. I I may be wrong. I may be wrong because that's that's a key indicator that you've been trying to kill yourself for your whole life. Um, sure it is, but here, if you've if you've been smoking, you've been contributing extra extra finances money. to the yeah. Oh come um, on! That oh well, that's that's true here in a way, but oh whether whether or whether or not it's it's sufficient for the additional burden it places on the health service, I don't know. the 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 bottom line for me is that we keep hearing these appeals in the Iron Doctor to something missing from the machine where what they're talking about is something missing from these set of rules about when treatments can be applied it's yes that's it's true. what what is the what is the role of the human then in in this if you know if the rules tell you whether or not to apply treatment but no the human ought to make the decision so what is it the human can do they 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 describe it as feeling but we're basically talking about discretion and effectively, that's allowing an individual human to discriminate. I, and... I once had a, a a very periphery role, very, very periphery, um, that was part of the discussion when they started looking at self-driving cars uh -huh. with regards to programming the algorithm of what to do in basically impossible situations. Do you protect yes. the passenger? Do you protect the pedestrians? Do you protect the pedestrians if they're in the wrong? Do you, you know, yes. uh, these are in, and they've got to be codified into an algorithm. And once you've coded them into an algorithm, someone's going to sue <laughs> either on the grounds that you didn't implement the algorithm correctly, or you did out implement the algorithm correctly, but they don't like the algorithm yes. and that you made a mistake on that. And, or that wasn't all encompassing enough, which is probably the most likely situation. And I, I you know, what, what you've said is it, to me, Exactly right. If you get all the data points in, but then I'm, I think we already, uh, uh, we already said I'm, I'm sort of deterministic. Uh, if we get enough data in the system, 
it will make the decision that we need to make, even if it's a hard decision. And you do have to have rules. I'm a big stickler for having procedures in place because human judgment not only is fickle, it changes from day to day, depending on your mood, but it changes from person to person. And, you know, any kind yeah. of organization, you have to, you have to say, this is how we operate. And that way, you know, that if person A is doing it or person B is doing it, you get the same result. And and that's, so to me, the iron doctor in the role of arbiter of what gets done is not problematic there i don't care about the human equation the human equation as you say needed to go into the algorithm in the first place they needed to they needed yes. to put what we what we as a society or we as the people the hippocratic uh you know oath or however it is programmed into that so that it operates in the same guidelines that a doctor would operate doing due diligence with all the information available which i which i th i kind of think is is what they're trying to get at with whitaker's final line except that by that time they've gone off on the kind of war games tangent which undermines any I agree. any real sense to that but but certainly the carson line seems to be that that uh, oh no you know we must have it, it's the frontline doctors who must have that discretion and as a doctor he's thinking well he has all of this knowledge and experience about different treatments and therefore he will intuitively be able to sense whether a decision being made by the iron doctor is correct or incorrect because he's he's going to be able to instantly weigh it up and it, and it you know it's the idea that the brain is is using all of these data sources uh, which are which are myriad and are and are much uh much wider than the computers though that you know maybe that is questionable um carbon chauvinism but it yes it's, it's, it's overlooking the fact that meanwhile the brain is also going to be weighing up other factors like you know is the patient pretty or do, do, you know was i swayed by the story about the patient's letter about grandchild, grandchild. great grandchild yeah yeah or, or whatever which it, none of which is to say you know the, the there is no value to bedside manner and human compassion or these things but it is to say that the rules have a role which is where the computer has a role in this and and those those kind of decisions about which are essentially about resource allocation should not be should be made on a fair and equitable basis that should be decided in advance. And that is correct. Ten, tangential aside, I guess all sides are tangential. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I just was thinking we were talking earlier about shows where these things are. Star Trek pre-2001 episode, The Ultimate Computer. Basically a thinking computer put in charge of the Starship Enterprise and just like X-Files and the Avengers, things go wrong when it thinks it's in trouble. It learns, and, and of course, the Enterprise being a massive weapon, a ship of war. So uh, it, it's it's a theme that's been going on about computers. And uh, I'm, just, yes. I'm throwing that in. I know but, it's but, sailing but, but, to but, that but, exact point, but it, to, the, yes. to the war games part, it is. It is. I, th I think to the credit of the Doomwatch team, they do make it clear through this through this story that 
and and even in the in the somewhat clumsy resolution that the computer has improved things so yes you know I, there was I like that. It's, it, it, it 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 is a step forward it it has its it has its drawbacks you know if it's killing people and it ultimately it kind of turns out that it's killing people in unexpected ways in other words the algorithm has not been implemented correctly if you were the lawyer trying to sue it that's what you'd be going for but nevertheless it has it has extended treatment and extended life for these patients who would otherwise be who would otherwise be dead long ago Uh, very much like i don't think there's any sort of serious argument that because self-driving cars are going to happen and they are going to make the roads hugely safer once we get the human drivers off them because although machines go wrong no question although (laughs) humans go wrong a lot more often will it be yeah exactly exactly so and and uh when you when you deal with these things in isolation you just look at the you just look at the machines and you just look at the, the 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 risks and the possible failures and so forth in isolation they become the reason not to use them which is to say not to not to move forward and sticking with what we've always been doing but you have to compare it against what you know what your current best available treatment is so if your current best available treatment is treatment by human you have to compare it against treatment by flawed war machine doctor and mm-hmm. even then you find actually flawed war machine doctor is doing a better job yep i i, I appreciated that uh, as well in the in the episode there's you know it comes up basically in two cases uh even carson can't argue that the treatment is better and he does he's just like it's better it's not perfect and and then at the end you know carson will not live if the doctor, the iron doctor doesn't treat him. So, um, yeah. And I, and I think that's, I, I, I do think that's an important point. Don't, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater yes. in the case with this computer. I, I, I think, and this isn't, this isn't me kind of switching to argue the other side, but it's, I think it's an important caveat to add to what we have said about human discretion and the areas in which that can lead to discrimination there's a there's a a point where where ridge declares well the the computer can't be prejudiced and it that's something that's not explored in this episode at all but the other the other side to everything that we've been saying is that actually yes behind every machine is a human the algorithms are not neutral and it's what you see you know in present technology with things like the classic example is how facial recognition, um, like when Apple brought in Face ID, for example, and it works extremely well if you happen to be Caucasian, but it doesn't necessarily work as well if your skin is a, a different colour. And in many, many ways, the kind of existing prejudices can be woven into the algorithms that, that program the machine. So Ridge isn't is that picked a, up on that. Is that point. a prejudice or an oversight? Is I, that a, I, a lack I, of data set or is that I mean the, the well, face I know ID what I, as far as I know is is done by thermal imaging 
and and laser imaging so it should be based on depth maps not tone i don't know i i I, I, I don't i don't know and i and uh, and ultimately i don't know whether you know when further research was done on it whether it was whether it was found to be significant but there is, i think there is a general thing about facial recognition and if it came about with the face id presumably that was because they didn't use enough d- d- people of different ethnicities during the testing phases which is an institute you know it's an institutional que- there are all sorts of societal reasons why the the testers might have picked subjects that weren't sufficiently diverse it's not well if they developed it in china for example right you know it would it would have had a different set of there there definitely is um a problem with facial recognition i I don't i can't pin it to face id because that's a different technology but facial recognition recognition that uses cameras uh you know like street corner cameras and things for surveillance state, like in the UK, uh, mm-hmm. where, where, you know, people walking through subways or walking down the streets, darker uh, images give more problems to camera-based solutions. You know, that that is a, that's a technological thing, but they definitely had problems with fault, uh, much higher rates of false positives. And if you're going to deploy a technology like that, you can't, allow that um but you know it, it it definitely is a thing it's definitely a thing let's see so let's talk a little bit about then um well no let's let's stick with the let's try to stick with the main the part of the story we like better so <laughs> it sounds to me like the ethics one of the things that carson kind of brushed over was that these patients are all terminal and he kind of called into question the ethics of using them as guinea pigs and i i don't know that i agree with him but at the same time i kind of see his point these are these are people who have come in for to die and they've whisked them off to this potentially better treatment you know at the start of the program potentially better treatment and then they did get better treatment and then it killed them. But, you know, they've had to do this with human test subjects. Which is how new interventions are, are tested. I mean, it, the, the, the classic they... ethical question there is where you have, where you have a new treatment, think we've, we have this fantastic and effective new treatment before you put it to the mass market, you are going to do, you're going to do, real clinical trials with actual patients on it in order for those clinical trials to be meaningful they need to be they need to be tried against a control group which means yeah, which means a blinded bunch of, a bunch of patients are going to get placebo They're, in other words you're denying half the patients even just in your trial this wonderful new whatever it is um of course the 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 answer is even if you even if you think well this is this is going to be better then it it is it is the the process the 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 medical trials are part of the process that improves the healthcare for everyone yes some people are going to 
are going to be unlucky in that. But overall, you know, it's once again this question of the general trend and the, you know, the, the overall improvement rather than focusing on any particular individual. It's emotive and it's, and it's inherently dramatic. It's a pity they, they ignored that side of it. Had to, had to sexy this up with the AI yes, yes. defense computer. <laughs> well, I guess we've postponed that as long as we can. I Probably my biggest complaint, certainly in a 1970X show, is the, at that time, ridiculous hyperbole about learning computers taking yes. defense upon themselves... And well, but also how much how much could you learn and how quickly, and particularly the complexity of natural language processing, because what they're suggesting by the end of this is that the computer has been able to use a video recording in order to, to identify a threat to identify what they have said, not just not just actually to be able to do speech recognition but actually to extract the meaning from those words. So, and it, you know, it's stuff that you might be able to do now, but it's, it's so much more complicated than the other kind of things they're talking about in this. You just wonder whether they appreciated the complexity of what they were proposing. I'm sure Alexa is doing it right now, for sure. But uh, yeah. So I, a question about this. So it identifies Carson as a threat. We hear from the recording that it overheard and recorded Carson saying, this thing's a danger, you need to shut it down. Would it have tried to kill him if he hadn't taken the first shot? Because he's the one that took a screwdriver to its back panel and started poking around its brain. And notwithstanding the fact that he'd already disconnected the card before he stuck a screwdriver to it, which I still yep. can't figure out what he was trying to do. Was he trying to sabotage the machine? And how would you put that much voltage through the circuitry that's actually Okay, there could have been a big there could have been a big capacitor on some of those old old cards. You you could get a you could get a hefty jolt from a capacitor. However, yes, but what are you discharging not it through? It, him do, through do, the ground do, through the screwdriver? No, no, no. I mean, on the on the board itself. Are you not? I. How, how does how does the current reach him through? The, the he stuck a screwdriver into components. the electrical circuitry. Like I said, a capacitor could holds a charge. I, I didn't see any capacitors. Yes, if he if he if he sense. touched if he touched the screwdriver yeah. onto the capacitor, what I'm what I'm thinking is that for for it for that level of voltage to have passed through any any distance. On the circuit board, certainly to have passed through the the various different components, surely it would have just blown out the components it's, before it's ludicrous before, before it reached him. So, what I'm, we're I'm not denying that what, it's not ludicrous. What, what we're <laughs> suggesting is that he just so happened to touch the screwdriver to the circuitry at a point close enough to where, let's suppose, there was this com this capacitor that discharged a, a, a large enough force and. Frankly, it would have had to be quite big. I mean, physically big and heavy. So here, here, here's my here's my thought. Um, 
one again to be clear by the time he got to the screwdriver on the card the card was disconnected from the computer you push the little clips on the front and you pull the card out it's out it's no longer connected to main power it's no longer part of the computer okay so the notion that it that the computer then intentionally zapped him which is what they're telling us seems physically impossible but they did say that the defensive mechanism built into the computer was designed to impart a low level electric shock when patients were tampering with their equipment so let's pretend that it gave him a low level shock enough to knock him back not not enough to kill him not enough to cause brain damage because that's not what caused the brain damage it was the fall yeah he fell and hit his head and got himself and that's what put him in the coma we don't know how big the shock was we just know it was enough to make him fall still wasn't connected to the computer couldn't have done the thing unless it was all that is wrong but again is it we're supposed to think that it's the computer defending itself we're definitely supposed to think it's the computer defending itself yes did it only try to kill him after it had tried to uh, seemingly tried to kill the computer because that's kind of what it looked i mean he asked to steal a tape and the sister says no so he says well i guess i'll have to do it myself but instead of going in and taking a tape he goes right into the back of the computer and starts to pull its brains out yes i mean i i have to say i didn't quite understand how that worked because at the end so then the computer goes hey they... this guy already said he wanted to kill me and now he's poking around in my guts give him the juice I, i'm kind of with the computer on that one <laughs> <laughs> I, i'm not that the guy fell over and got a brain hemorrhage but i'm kind of with the computer on this one that he needed a little bit of a on whatever that. whatever whether i mean he wasn't going for the tape was he but he was going for something no. that had that had there was some sort of storage on those cards because that those yeah. were apparently the memory blocks where it it knew that he was a threat or where it had recorded that he was a threat. It wasn't using the tape for that. Oh, I, you know, I don't think it was. I think, I, yes, your assessment is right, but I don't think that's what he was after. I think that we saw that A, there is a tape, let's call it a backup, and B, there was a daughter board on those circuit boards that Godfrey yeah. removed that one yeah. that Godfrey removed was Carson's. Yes. But he was, I going think for Carson was going George's. for patient three or whoever it was. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if it was, yeah, I don't know which patient he was going for. And I, I don't remember which patient that the sister got the tape reel for. I hope it wasn't no. George because, but, because if it was George, he wouldn't have had Carson's comments on there, but it had but, to be but patient three. From the computer's point of view, if Carson had got away with that, he wasn't going to kill the computer. He was going to take whatever it was that controlled patient three's course of treatment. But in the in the defense in the defense of the computer, Carson says this computer has to be shut down. Carson opens yes. the back of the computer and starts pulling around on the circuit boards. He, yes, all right, but the computer which, probably yeah. the computer's probably smart enough to know which of its circuit boards do what if it's able to defend itself. This does not meet with Asimov's rules of robotics in which a computer cannot, or robot, 
or in this case a computer, but it's sort of a robot in a way, cannot in any action or indirect action harm a human being. But there you go. That wouldn't work for a medical computer that denies treatment anyway. So, yeah, I, I you know, the, the, there is so much good ethical bite to this episode about the computer. And then I feel like Brian Halls was just sitting there and he says, yeah, but, you know, everybody's fears about computers is that they'll become sentient and they'll start killing people. And being able to yeah. defend themselves. Because every time you ever go, well, you know, what happens when the computers take over and they they dominate our lives? And some guy goes, I'll pull the plug. Well, what if they could electrify the plug and kill you? <laughs> it's like, okay. <laughs> it's like, okay, now we're getting into crazy land. Um, and, and the fact that they took what is effectively a military computer and repurposed it for a medical computer is kind of hilarious. Oh, we forgot to take out the self-defensive stuff <laughs> that we would sell to the military. And we just sold it to this random hospital somewhere. Uh, it, I mean, in... it, it was surprising how little they seemed to know about it because they were, they were having arguments about whether, whether it was a component failure, you know, whether, whether the pacemaker itself had failed or two pacemakers apparently had failed or whether, the computer had shut them off and you'd have thought they would they would have enough knowledge and there would be some diagnostics that they could run or something <laughs> they could look at just to they'd need another computer <laughs> <laughs> so that's what they got at least hooray hooray doomwatch as in doomwatch the computer yes got to do something yes in this episode it's the hero <laughs> sort well, of it's safe yes. today. Be, be, because what was the, what was the um, series one? Was it uh, was it Project Sahara where Quist went off on his big anti, oh anti computer rant? Yeah, anti computer rant. Yeah, and he'd apparently National forgotten completely thing. that he had an enormous computer back in his office that was so brilliant that the entire show was named after it. So. At least this time it was someone else who went off on the computer rat rant and uh, and Quist and his team get to actually use Doomwatch. Ridge didn't get much to do in this episode. Oh well no, but you know what's gonna you know what I'm gonna say got me very excited. No. No? Really? Uh well maybe in I... their retrospect I will. <laughs> in hindsight I'll go, Oh yeah. But this, this, so I was, I was trying to work out the timeline for it because um, I think this episode went out in January 1971. But I haven't been able to find out any kind of dates for when, not even the, the kind of dates of the run of the Avengers stage play, which was in 1971. Uh huh. But when he goes to visit the machine it, uh, and, and talks to godfrey ridge has an umbrella with him a cane handled umbrella uh, he oh didn't he's saying this. he's he's i didn't register it and he switched he's switched to, to the upper class he is absolutely doing his steed he's not just doing his steed he's doing mcnee's steed i mean i don't know what his performance on stage was like you know there there isn't to my knowledge any record of it but that is steed that is definitely undoubtedly steed it's so very different from his regular 
Ridge performance. I mean, you can see it as Ridge sort of having fun playing a role, but at the same time, you can definitely see some of McNee's mannerisms in there. All right, fair enough. I, I did I did clock on that he was definitely putting on airs. I yeah. didn't notice the umbrella, but then I don't notice a British person carrying an umbrella. They all do, don't they? <laughs> Yeah, fair point. Isn't that, isn't that a thing? A thing <laughs> over there? I don't know. Like, um, there was a little bit of weirdness with the whole sequence where Hardcastle goes to, let's call it IBM, but whoever it was supposed to be, and just puts on a suit and talks to a guy about computers on for film. a little bit. Yeah. Um, that was, I guess, giving him like something Ridge to do. Sort of giving him something to do. Yeah. Uh, even Dr. Chantry didn't get as much to do in this that I, as I would have expected considering it was hospital based, but they've got to share it out. And I mean, she, she got a fairly, she got the largest chunk of the action, but they, yeah. they've got, they've got to share it out. Cause you know, there's five of them or however many it is now. And, and, and the bit where Quist is getting the tour at the beginning of the episode how is that in any way tied to the fact that Carson goes to Doomwatch? It isn't, is it? It's just kind I... of Quist is not only is Quist just sort of there, but later on he's sort of bumbling around, lost in the hallway, and then oh, I can't find my way out. Oh, it's over this way. Okay, thank you. And then he leaves. <laughs> I thought that's weird. Yes. yes, that's weird. I would have sent Doctor Chantry. Medical well, except doctor. except he's there. He's it's a it's it's a it's an airs and graces thing, isn't it? The 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 hospital want or the the the, the department doing running this trial want to show off what they're doing to the bigwigs. So it's not that they want someone from Doomwatch; it's that they want the head of Doomwatch, someone who's going to say mm. to the minister next time how. Okay, fair enough what a jolly good job they're doing okay fair enough fair enough it just i I don't know i think in terms of i think in terms of of my experience where you know you you the heads of heads of departments don't necessarily do that kind of tour they do the things where they get free food um (laughs) you know they get to hobnob with higher ups than them they don't they don't hobnob for the lower downs um, they send people to do that. You know, it kind of shows whether, in the, you know, if you're a VIP, then you send somebody lower than you. Um, but yeah, all right, fair enough. It just seemed kind of weird that, and if he had bumped into Dr. Carson in that, in, in a meaningful fashion, then I could see Carson going, wait, that Quist guy, Doomwatch. Yeah, let's contact them. But we didn't get that. So uh, I don't know that I have anything else on this episode. No, I don't. I don't. I just say, I, you know, I look forward to the day when we have competent robotic and computerized doctors um, taking but care wait. of our treatment and making our lives better. We do. Surely. Wow. I mean, that was the to first thing that, that struck me about this is, is you know, how how much we they what they got wrong in this was how how the computers 
role in this fits with the the actual human clinician because what we've got are lots of computers that are individual microcomputers in each different type of machine which the doctor is is using and is referring to and is but they're not making is, the diagnoses well to some extent because because the because the doc the doctor is going to ibm going and entering certain data and and getting it back it's not happening without the human ultimately taking the responsibility for it but on the other hand they know that if they override a you know diagnostic guideline or whatever then they're going to be answerable to that so but, but you, you know that the he even gave an example. You go into your GP, they're hooked up to these terminals. It goes into the massive database and it gives back the diagnosis. That is eliminating the GP, other than being, yes, you know, I a guess technician. it's more like it's more like an Apple Watch. Yeah, I mean it's doing things and it might alert you and say, hey, ooh, ooh you've got a problem with your, you might have AFib, or something of that nature. But yeah, I I, I think they were envisioning this as a much grander scale of diagnosis. And, and like I said, they are absolutely working on that with, with artificial intelligence because, you know, uh, uh, all, all, all props to doctors. That's a job I would never do. Um, not, not because of, I'm all, you know, don't like the sight of blood or anything like that. It's just, it's just not a thing that, that interests me, but it is, they are a database. What they are trained is to know all the bits and to know all the symptoms and to know all the probabilities and to, and there is no way that every doctor has learned everything and, and we all have our biases. And so you can go to two different doctors who may have identical experience and still get two different diagnoses. It, yes. it still happens. It can happen. And but they, but they know, have books. That's they, the holy grail of these computers. They've always to, had books, to, and now they have computers, and so when they put the symptoms they've in, got, they can... They've got WebMD. They can look that up. And, <laughs> uh, and then, <laughs> which, as we know, if you go to put your symptoms into WebMD, you're dead. <laughs> right? <laughs> that's, that's the problem uh, with those things. You look at it, and you go, oh, I'm, I'm dying. <laughs> I, I might have not... a minor... You're not yeah. trained. You're not trained to recognise the symptoms. You're not trained to know what to look for. There are all sorts yeah, of things that perhaps right. You still need the the doctor to do. But I'm um, I'm definitely looking forward to the day when the tools they have are better than they are now. And I think and in this they were better. What Hans Rosling is telling us than they are now. It will it will happen. Ignore Doomwatch. It will absolutely yeah. happen. Well, actually, even in fairness, Doomwatch is saying that here. So yes. I, I you know Cheer okay up, so Doomwatch is still. Doomwatch is still providing a, an important, an important service, even even though this is a oh look at the terrible things that are happening oh it's going to go wrong. There is value in that because it's a data point that you can look at and you can say oh yeah you know we really should consider that. Yes, ultimately you have to make a decision, but you know we we do need the voices to to express the concerns so that you don't just blindly go into making technology, which we do now, right? People are making Mary technology <clears throat> for the sake of technology. They, they do that and without regard for the long-term implications of it. I, I'm, I'm not denying that Mary Shelley didn't 
doesn't have a point at some point in Frankenstein. I I bemoan the fact <laughs> that that has become the pervasive um, milieu, or has become so pervasive. There, there, you know, there's but a it's place about, it's about reason to concern. Yeah, it, yes, and the, and so that and that's what we're getting in this story. It is it is about looking at the ethics of it and i guess one of the one of the kind of positives about the scattergun approach is they've explored different aspects of that even if from a dramatic point of view it hasn't actually been very satisfying i did love the bit where they were driving at night on the streets and all three of them were tense <laughs> and in the car and then they came up to a red light and they stopped and waited and there was that tense scene where they smoked a little bit and then <laughs> and then the light turned green and they drove <laughs> but, <laughs> Okay, <laughs> this is this is bizarre. <laughs> it wasn't. I didn't think it was the best directed episode we've seen. The, the, I, I, I don't. Obviously, I don't know anything about the kind of production stories that was going on behind here. But it looked rushed, in the sense that they, in the number of instances where they'd fluffed their lines, they'd ha obviously had to leave it in. So, what about the operating room? How many black operating rooms have you ever seen outside of the theater? Yeah, it was it was just a completely black room. It's like yeah, I, I didn't I really have time to like build some more set. lights. Yeah, and you'd think they would have a cheap hospital operating room set somewhere that they could throw out from, yeah, you know, from whatever a... the equivalent of casualty was in that period of time. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, I was kind of surprised by it. It was, it's very dramatic. And I guess you could make the argument that, you know, it's artistic, but it did kind of draw me out of it and go, why is it so dark in that operating room? <laughs> but, uh, well, uh, if you have got, uh, nothing else and I have not got anything else to torture that English sentence around in a different way. Um, next time we're going to be looking into flight into yesterday, which is no doubt oh, a time travel, time story. travel at last. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm pretty sure we got, um, yeah, yeah. After that is going to be uh, the web of fear. So, uh, we, Ooh, <laughs> Yeti. so I'm assuming that flight into yesterday is, is their version of time flight, time flight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, uh, so we'll, uh, well, Simon, thank you for joining me. It's a pleasure, as always. And listeners, I do hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. You've been listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Find out how you can be a sponsor and get early access to all episodes and more at patreon.com slash fusion patrol. Come join the conversation on Facebook or Twitter. All episodes are available at FusionPatrol.com. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf. This has been a Lone Locust production. <laughs>